Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. And welcome, welcome once again to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with yet another high demand coach, and that is Mr. Steve Smith. Uh, uh, Steve is a new friend of mine. Uh, we're meeting here for the first time, but he's the owner of Growth Source Coaching, an Orange County, California-based business and executive coaching company that specializes in helping business professionals become extraordinary leaders, savvy business owners, and confident marketing strategists. Steve's sole mission is to help business professionals to develop clarity, confidence, and operating performance so they can play at their highest potential. I absolutely love that. I'm excited about our conversation, Steve, I, I, and I'm so thankful to have you on the show. I'd love to just start and open up with your story. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got into coaching and why. Well, Scott, thanks. First, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, the, the short story on my entire evolution through business is that I worked for 30 years in the consumer products manufacturing industry. Four large corporations, all top of their game. Uh, had a lot of great experiences, but you know, when 2008 came around, I'd kind of had enough. And I was really looking for something that I could take everything that I had learned and repurpose it so I could feel a whole lot better about what I was doing. You know, have 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 a, have a meaning to all this as opposed to just kind of following, you know, the big corporate, you know, guidelines and where they want to go and the stockholders and all that kind of good stuff. So I ventured out and ran into coaching. And it was interesting because I didn't know this. I mean, I, I knew coaching was around. I, I had heard about people that had executive coaches, but I didn't realize it had just grown at the levels that it is today. Yeah. And I was introduced to, uh, you know, to the whole coaching uh, arena. And I ended up buying a small franchise and it was a startup company. I fell in love with their whole methodology. I mean, they just had a philosophy about this that really spoke to me. Things were going along really good. About two and a half years in the company folded, okay. they went out of business. And so what, what do you do with a franchise when the, the mother company decides to go bankrupt? Um, so, you know, I'm sitting there, I mean, I can remember the day and the time. This is one of those things where you just never forget the phone call that tells you it's all over with. Yeah. And so after I got done kind of like crying in my soup, you know, and my wife even said, well, look, you're always telling me that clients stay with you way beyond the contract because they like working with you. So why don't you just do your own thing? You know, and that's when that light bulb movement hit and I took everything and repurposed it. And quite honestly, the way I springboarded myself from that disaster to what I have today 
was I contacted the IT guy that was inside the company. And I said, is there any way I can get some of this material? Because, you know, you guys are going out. Nobody, everybody's running. Nobody's going to hang around to repurpose this thing. So he gave me access to the IT system and I downloaded the client list and I started calling people. And I must have called almost 100 people. And I got people that no thanks and, oh, yeah, let's do it. And some people were just threatening me with lawsuits like I had anything to do with this. But I ended up with about 40 clients, some that I basically helped them figure, you know, get through their program. They had already paid in advance and they were out the money. Oh, wow. So I helped a few of those. I split my fee with a couple others. And so over the course of about the next year and a half, that's what got me started. And after that, I realized what the, what the franchise had offered me was, was all about mindset, about getting your head in the game and really knowing what lane to play in and how to operate from a mental standpoint. What they didn't have, which is what 80% of my business is today, was leadership and management. And that's what I brought in from my 30 years in consumer products. Because one thing about that industry, they do an unbelievable job of training people as they're bringing them up, you know, up the ladder. Mm. And so I had all this in-depth skill and I thought, okay, there's other, you know, the small businesses or executives who are, who are rising up in, in, in their, you know, in their, in their careers, they've never had any formal training. And so I just started marketing that and, and, you know, the floodgates opened. Wow. So that's kind of how I got where I am today. I mean, it was a fluke, yeah. but it was the best thing that ever happened. Amazing. Uh, I'd, I'd love to explore that for just a second because it's remarkable how many successful, even founders, have that story, right? You said the phone call that tells you it's all over. Right. <laughs> and and I, I want to, this wasn't really on the map or on the radar, but I'd like to pause here for just a second and, and hear like, how do you, having processed through that, what would you tell somebody listening who just got that phone call this morning, right? And is sitting in that, you know, that first day, two days, three days and thinking it's over. You know, what would you say to them right now? All right. Here's what I would tell them. And this is pretty much what happened to me. The first thing I thought was, which anybody's going to, you know, after you hang the phone up and, and you decompress a little bit, you know, the first thing you think about is what am I going to do? And over the next week or two, what I had found out was everybody else that had come into that franchise. You know, franchising is an interesting world because until you get to a critical mass, the franchise itself is kind of always at risk. And I think we got to maybe 24, 28 franchises in major cities around the country, which is puny, you know, for, for a franchise. Uh, but it was growing. All right. So what I found out was everybody else that was in the franchise basically left the coaching arena and went back to the occupation they had before they fell in love with coaching. Wow. And I said, you know what? There's no way back for me. I'm not going back in that direction. I decided, to, I mean, I put about hundred grand into this whole thing. I said, this is the only direction I have going forward. So the next question was, all right, I can either just language in, language, you know, in my own misery, or I can figure out what a company would look like that has my stamp on it. And I spent the next 30 days with everything I'd learned from them, because they were real big in marketing, just sitting down and figuring, okay, what does it look like now? You know, obviously I can't use their name because it was kind of tarnished, but I came up with my own name, my own philosophy, the what people could expect if they decided to come to me. Because that's one of the things I learned in marketing is you have to be really, really clear about your promise. 
and you have to execute every single time with every single person you work with. That's how you get the reputation about there that you're the real deal. Yeah. And so I built this whole model with like 70 modules on various aspects. Cause the other thing I realized was a lot of our competitors, big ass companies had programs, you know, they'd put people through the front, they'd run them through the whole end. Didn't matter whether you need it all or not. You bought into the program. That's what you were going to get. I took my whole system from, you know, people, I'm dating myself now, but from Reader's Digest, you know, short little modules that could help people develop strategies and get over the humps that were holding it back. Right. And I put all these things together for management, leadership, and marketing. And that's how I did it. And once I started getting into the, you know, the traction of putting together stuff and seeing it all come together, at least on paper, that's what gave me the motivation to keep going. Right. Now I had a purpose. And I really felt good, even though I was making zero money at that time. I really felt good about where I was going. Mm. Yeah, it's it, it it's such a great point. Like, I think the question that comes is like, if you can go back, like, then then that's that's a valid route, right? If you can go back, if you're not going to go back, you just have to burn the bridge, right? Like, yes. if, if if you're not going to go back, the biggest thing that I, I think uh, folks get get stuck with, especially in times of crisis or doesn't go the way that you want, is we get stuck in the middle, right? We can't get back to the thing that we want. It Maybe it never existed in the first place. Right. And and we we lose the opportunity to move forward because we're still hanging on to this old thing, right? And, and you know, yeah. the, here's the other thing that I ran into, and I see this today. People go into coaching because they they have some love affair with what it's all about. Quite honestly, and I've sat down with numerous people over the years who have asked me, you know, how do you do this? How do you get into it? And the first thing I tell them is this is not an easy way to make a living. You can be successful at it and you can have, you know, great fun at it, which I do, but it's a hard road. And there's like coaches littering the sidewalks everywhere. They're all over the place. But many of them don't get into it for the right reasons. And the ones that don't, when, when you know, when you hit that wall, that's when they start going back and saying, well, gee, you know, what I was doing before actually wasn't that bad, you know, and then they tend to go backward. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to do this for the for the long haul, you've got to really know in your head, this is the only reason you're out here to do this. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And I think for someone listening who's like, hey, I'm not going to be a coach, I, I, you know, I have no intention of that. But what can they gain from this conversation? I think it's new coaches aren't necessarily a bad thing, right? right? But one of the things you have to be cautious of and conscientious of, if you're looking to hire a, a new coach, you have to make sure that they are in it for the right reason, right? You have to make sure that they're going to help you get through to the end of the thing that, that the challenge that you're facing at the moment. Right. Um, uh, and and that's where I've found a lot of folks get in trouble is they just kind of assume a business coach is a business coach, right? I'll take the cheaper one. And right, again, right. it's not necessarily a bad thing. There's lots of new coaches out there who are wonderful people who don't charge crazy rates. Right. Those aren't bad people. They're not going to give you a bad service. But you also, you know, there is a Darwinian process in, in the coaching profession. Oh, like no you question. You either make it or you don't. You, and, yeah, you have to be willing to endure the journey and that certain uh, margin of fallout. Yeah. And as I meet with, and sometimes I'll mentor people who are trying to get into coaching, the first thing I see that I can tell is going to be a struggle for them is they're more interested in telling you what they know than helping you figure out what you know. 
And until you make that mental shift, and it doesn't matter who you're working with. I mean, if you go to my website, I've got 40 or 50 different industries that I work in. So I'm kind of industry agnostic. But what I've learned in every one of them is it's not about what I know. It's about what I can help them realize that they already know and figure out a way to put to application to do something with, as opposed to right. just kind of honkering down and staying in the weeds and waiting for the, you know, the storm to blow over. You can't right. do that. You, you've got to persevere through it and use your strengths and figure out what weaknesses are getting in your way so that you can stay clear about what you're doing and why you're doing it. Right. And another thing that you mentioned uh, earlier on in the conversation, just to kind of bring it back, was uh, this idea of a program, right? Here's my program. Here's the, the steps. Here's the, you know, and and uh, I would say the, the great coaches that I've worked with all have a program, right? But they also break the program routinely, right? Like there's a, there's, there's, you know, and, and so I think one of the challenges that we have is when you look at, you know, a lot, of, especially the bigger coaching programs and how they work really well, there's a, there's a, a simplicity about it. If you follow these steps, you get these results. And there's a, a bit of a, like a magic promise baked into that. But, but what you find out is like, what, whatever it is that you're getting into, you've got to live with that. Right. You've, you, if yes. you're buying a car, you're going to keep driving that car for the next, you know, X number of years. You hire a coach, even if the coaching relationship is six months or 12 months, whatever the systems they are that they help you put in place, whatever the tools that are that they give you, you're going to be living with those for quite a while. Absolutely. A, you know, it, it may be a six month investment, but it is not a six month investment. No. And the only thing you can th that will actually make that investment worthwhile is if you lock on to what you learn and you figure out how to, how to make it your own. Exactly. I mean, I've seen a lot of different programs. I've seen Tony Robbins program. I've seen this one called Traction that's by EOS, big, big organization out there. And they're all really good. They've got a lot of good stuff in them, but nobody ever follows it a thousand percent soup to nuts, right? Eventually you figure out what things work for you really well, what you can adopt based on your own personality, your own style. But as long as you just run with that and make that a new part of who you are and how you show up in your business, you've got what you came for. Yeah. And I think the very best systems have that presumption built in, right? There's no, there's no idea that you're going to implement 100% of this, 100% of the way that you know the next person has, or right. the previous person. Uh, but these are a set of tools that can work for you. How can we, which ones are the ones that you need most and how can we, we, best, uh, we best get those incorporated into what it is that you do? Right. Uh, it's fascinating. So uh, kind of in light of that, tell me a little bit about what, we, what you would say some of the most important work that you're doing with your clients right now. Most all of them require a significant amount of mindset change. And it's because depending on how long they've been in their role or depending on where they are in the role, because, you know, I have some right now that are moving into executive level roles. They've never been there before. They've never had any formal training or experience in that. And what they do is they carry the previous tactical mindset into a role that's really more strategy in nature. And if you don't help them see that and the importance of that and why they need to work hard to change how they view things around them, you know, how they communicate with their people, how they look at the business. If you don't, if you're not successful at that, they now have an executive level role and they're operating like a manager mm. and everybody else is going to pick up on that really quick. The last person in line to see that is them. 
So part of my job is to almost shock the conscience and get them to realize, you know, if you want your folks to follow you, to be loyal, to even when you, they don't like what you're telling them, they're going to do it. They have to respect that you know what you're doing. And it starts with what's going on in your head. Right. So for business owners, for startups, it's not about where you are now. Is Are you thinking about where you're going to be a few years from now? And are you willing to put your arms around that and, and wear that? Yeah. And I think uh, that it's so true, right? We're looking for tips and tactics, but at the end of the day, it's how are you thinking about this problem, right? Uh, and, and what are the beliefs that are driving your actual behaviors? One of the things right. that you picked up on that I, I want to dig into a little bit more is, you know, we we can kind of get stepping into a new set of shoes, right? Uh, we may kind of carry lessons too far, right? You know, lessons from the past, the strategies from the past, we carry those too far. But I find it's pretty easy once some somebody shines a light on that, it, it, you know, uh, someone who's willing to learn, it's pretty easy for them to recognize, okay, I can see the difference. One of the places that I see is a bigger challenge for someone is someone who's been in a role for a long time, right? Yes. What are the types of mindset changes that you see for folks that have, that aren't necessarily in a new role, but they've been in a role for quite a period of time? All right. So there's a couple of things that I typically run into. And one of them has to do with someone who's in a senior role. They've been there for a while. And one day they wake up and realize that most of the people under them may not be their direct contact you know, circle, their, their executive team, but it may be a couple of levers below. One day they wake up and they realize, I don't know most of these people. Mm. They're younger generation. They yeah. think differently. They come in, they're highly educated to start with. But what they're lacking is just general business acumen, that experience of knowing how to work in a, a business environment. OK, and so you almost feel like you're outside the storefront window looking in like you're not an integral part of your own company anymore because so much has changed. And so I work with people in ways to help kind of reorient them to their own business. Because if you leave executives, especially, you know, the, the, the owners, the CEOs, if the business is running well, if you leave them in that role for too long, what the next thing that happens is what I call mental drift. Now they spend most of their time thinking about stuff outside the business. You know, gee, maybe I should start looking around for a second home, you know, on a lake or something, you know, or I've got this hobby, you know, I like going fishing. I'm going to buy a boat. I mean, all kinds of things can get in the way that cause them to now spend a greater appreciation of their mental focus doing stuff that's non-business related. Wow. And you have to pull them out of that. Doesn't mean they shouldn't enjoy the rest of their life, but they have to recognize that eventually, if that goes on long enough, the business will start to deteriorate. Or another phenomenon will take place, which is when you have an executive underneath you, maybe in the, the C-level or the VP-level role, will go rogue on you. I got, a, I got a client right now that that's happening. And the guy is a good guy, but he's drifted from the business so much that one of his, his lieutenants has now decided to take over. And they're having a real difficult time wrestling that business back. But the door was wide open and this young guy's like, well, you know, nobody's calling the shots. I'm going to do it. And so that's the kind of thing that can happen if you don't constantly look around you and say, what's changed? You know, am I still relevant? Do I need to get involved in certain things that are going to keep me not in the weeds, but in that director guidance level part of the business? Right. 
And I think that's so true because we tend to see the world as Boolean, black or white, true or false, in or out, right? And the reality right. of it is great leadership is is messy. It's inherently messy. It's it's getting it down in it. It's pulling back out of it. It's you right. know, it's like if if you're in a flight, you, you gotta you're at ground level and you're at thirty thousand feet, right? And you go up, you go down, you everything in between. You can't just stay at thirty thousand feet. You can't right. just stay at ground level. And, and I think that's a trick. So uh, for a leader who's who's maybe wrestling with that kind of in versus out mindset, or or, or struggling to find that natural balance, or maybe the the appropriate tension, what what kind of quick piece of advice would you, you give to them in in wrestling that down? Um, the the thing I tell people is very strategically reorient yourself to the people in your business. Mm. You know, find out if you have new players at the the senior level that are reporting directly to you, find out who they are. You know, is their philosophy supporting the company's philosophy or is that starting to separate? You know, figure out what they're doing. Don't go in with the idea of telling them what they're doing right and wrong. Go into them and find out what can I do as the CEO to support you and make your department, the area that you have domain over, better. Because one of the critical elements of being at top of the list is to run interference, to remove the blockages so the people you've hired to do more of the executional work are unencumbered and can do that. You know, so find legitimate ways to reconnect. And it doesn't mean you have to run in there with guns blazing and have weekly meetings with them, but just gradually get back in the pool. Go out. You know, uh, one of the other things was highly successful for this guy was he would pick people once a month and he would have like a multi department team lunch. None of the none of the, the supervisors was there. It was just kind of the technician level. Yeah. And he would just take them out to lunch and just say, look, you know, if there's anything you want to know about me or the company, this is the time to ask, you know, mm -hmm. free, free time, you know, nothing, no, no questions bad. And he developed really good. Now he would go back to the managers and say, OK, here's what we talked about. You know, these you got some sharp people. Here's what I'm going to do to help you help them. So you really have to go at it almost from a servant leadership perspective. And if you do that, people won't see you as somebody getting in the way or somebody trying to force fit themselves. They'll actually see you as somebody who's there to try to guide and help the company be successful for everybody in the company. That's fantastic. Uh, excellent, excellent, excellent advice. Uh, so this is the moment I've been waiting for. Uh, I'm always excited to get to this point in the podcast because uh, it's where I get the the big, the best uh, and brightest uh, to give their biggest secrets. So I'd love to ask you, what is the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret? What is that one thing that you wish everybody <laughs> listening today knew uh, without a shadow of a doubt? Well, okay. So this this term has been used before. I didn't invent it. But I'll tell you why in a minute, why I wish everybody respected this a little more, especially in our high tech world. OK, the secret of what I do that I think causes most people to to, you know, to come my way is that I'm high touch and low tech. Mm. I use technology. I don't care if it's the latest and greatest. It just functionally has to do what it's supposed to do so that I can take up my capacity for doing menial things, you know, and, and, and coordinating and planning and getting, staying in front of all the stuff, but still deliver it in a way that people know there's a human on the other end of the communication. Yes. Because, you know, you, we've got all this AI stuff out there and look, it's got its place. But at some point when you realize your entire day of communication is talking to robots, you know, that can get a little disconcerting. 
And anytime you get an email that's constructed, that looks like a human actually wrote it for you, you'd be amazed how fast you get responses back. Yeah. You don't get just blown off. It doesn't fall into the junk folder on Google. Right. You actually get meaningful responses. So that's my secret. I, I, main, I maintain a high touch relationship, but I also use the right amount of technology to facilitate just the arduous day-to-day stuff that keeps it going and keeps it consistent. Because that's the other big thing that a lot of businesses fall out of favor with is they start going off in different channels. They get a new bunch of new people in and all of a sudden the consistency of what they're doing starts to wane. Right. And customers will see that quickly. So if you can maintain the consistency, use the technology where it's going to help you be more efficient, but still maintain a high touch approach, Mm -hmm. people will love you for it. Yeah, so true. So true. Uh, it's definitely a way to to stand out, uh, especially in today's today's world. Uh, now, uh, another question I have for you here is I've worked with enough coaches to know they have a knack for spending all of their best energy, their most creative you know, capacity, their best problem solving on their clients and can often forget to, to do the same thing on their own business. So I'd love for you to take your, your coach hat off for a moment, put your CEO hat on with the rest of us and talk to us a little bit about what the next phase of growth looks like for you and your business. All right. I, when I got into this thing, I... I had thoughts about, you know, gee, what kind of a company can I build out of this with people involved and things like that? Because that's where I came from in my private sector work. And as I got through this, what I realized was there's a certain level and size that I really enjoy working with because it doesn't stress me out and stuff like that. So what I have endeavored to do is earn my way up the quality client ladder bring on higher profile clients, more complicated ones. They will invite me in instead of me just doing one, I'm doing five. So that's been my growth goal is to get better quality, more intricate types of clients, because what happens? They stay longer. Yeah. And that's the nature of coaching. I mean, look, I know a lot of great coaches that sell packages in, you know, four sessions, eight sessions, 12 sessions. I don't do any of that stuff. They got to be with me six months and then it goes month to month. You stay as long as you want. You tell me when you want to tap out. Yeah. People will stay a year and a half, two years. I have some clients been around four years, but I know half their management team because I've been working with them along the way. And that kind of consistency is what makes this type of profession worthwhile. So that's my goal. That's also my struggle. But, you know, to me, it's worth it because it, it fulfills what I do and it makes this, you know, the kind of, you know, this is the kind of profession you could do for a long time. You don't, you know, have to go out at 65 or whatever. You can do it as long as you have the mental clarity and the stamina to keep doing it. And, and a, a great coach is not a quick fix. There will be early wins, right? right. The, like there will be early wins uh, more often than not, not all the time, but more often than not. But the real value of the relationship is in longevity. And that's not just selling, hey, you got to get into a forever coaching relationship because you definitely don't want to get stuck in one where you're giving more than you're getting as a right. client. Like that that's just the the worst possible outcome. <laughs> but if we rewind the tape a little bit, it's making sure that you're signing up with somebody that can carry you for a little while, right? If you go into it saying, hey, we just need this one thing. Well, okay, maybe you can get help with the one thing, but what is it? What's that one? What's what's sitting right behind that one thing, right? Right. And maybe you can't see it, right? Depending on on how big the challenges are right now, you may not be able to see past that, but try and find the person who can, 
right? Try and find a coach who, who can see past that challenge and take you beyond it. Well, here's another interesting thing that I learned along the way, because the original franchise that I bought into, you know, that was back in 2008 and Zoom wasn't really around at that point or they weren't fully formed. And so everything we did was on the phone. And to this day, probably a simple majority of my clients still opt for that. And I'll tell you the, the biggest benefit is for me helping them. It shuts down every sensory perception channel except you're listening. And so all you do is listen. Mm. You know, if you're on Zoom, you're listening and you're watching. If you're in the room, you're listening, you're watching, you're experiencing the coming and going of everything going on around you. It can get distracting. But when you're in that audio mode only, you pick up things that you probably would have missed before. And the playback is what the client's paying you for. Yeah. Tell me what I, you know, I'm going to tell you what I just heard that probably doesn't sound the same as what was going on inside your head before you said it. Mm. That's where people say, ah, yeah. Once you get to the ah stage and you get enough of those, now they start taking control of the sessions. Now they're showing up saying, this is what I need to get, get past. Then I, I love it. I said, look, you guys get in the driver's seat as fast as you can. My job is not to drive the train for you. My job is to drive it until you're comfortable taking the wheel. Mm, that's excellent. So uh, I know that some folks are listening and they're just resonating with everything that you said, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that maybe they've stepped into a new role and they're feeling the weight of it. Maybe they're in that seat of, well, been in this role for a long time and I'm feeling the weight of the disconnect, right? And, and that's really hitting home. So how can folks connect with you and, and learn more? <laughs> There's two things you can do. The best way is just to go to my website, growthsourcecoaching.com. Uh, I have my email. I have my phone on there. The best thing to do is just use one of those little capture box, sign up for a consult. My consults are so anti-sales. It's amazing. I'm there to help them figure out if coaching is going to help them solve their problem. And if me of the coach is going to be a good match for them. Not everybody is, but that's the whole reason for doing that, to give mm -hmm. them some understanding as to, is this the best professional development vehicle for you? Yeah. Do that. Um, some people will just send me email straight out. Hey, can, when can we talk? So that's the best way. If you want to go on LinkedIn, go on LinkedIn. You can see a bunch of stuff on there. You can see articles, videos, things that I publish, and that'll give you a good sense as to how I think about this. And if that resonates with you, that's a good start. If it doesn't, then there's other coaches out there you can look at. Fantastic. Well, Steve, thank you so much uh, for sharing. Uh, again, that's growthsourcecoaching.com. We'll stick it in the show notes for everybody. Uh, reach out to him. Uh, um, You're in good hands uh, with, with Steve. Uh, so again, yeah, thank you so much for being here. For everyone listening, your time and attention just mean the world to us. We are honored uh, to share this time with you. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did, and I can't wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. 
we are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes go ahead and subscribe now your thumbs up your ratings your reviews they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team if you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>